This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Good afternoon. Guess we'll go ahead. How are you feeling this afternoon? Great. You guys ate well? All right. Well, my name is Moise. I don't know if we have some people here from the second. Is it on? Oh, no. Uh, is this one on? Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Yeah, I don't know if we have anybody here from the morning session. Is Okay. Mary was here in the morning. But uh, we are going. How many of you know what neophyte means? Oh, some people went on Google. <laughs> you Google what does neophyte mean and what definition did you guys get? Recent convert, okay. Beginner, someone who's new to a subject. Now, how many of you have heard of the great controversy? How many of you think you can teach it? Uh, no, I'm not trying to tell you you're a neophyte, but all of us somehow, we are new. We come new to the great controversy because it is ever going. All right, somebody had joined us. But yeah, I will give a quick summary, but before I do that, why don't we pray to invite the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for uh, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, though we may be uh, few, may our praises be mighty for you today. May you lead us into your word and may you teach us. And Father, may you bless us and may you uh, give us freedom in you, Father, because the truth shall set us free. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, I am Moise Ratsara. I'm a pastor in the Michigan Conference. And Taurus and I, Taurus is not here right now. We have been covering the great controversy from the Bible. Now, there is one parable that Jesus used to teach his disciples about the great controversy. What parable do you think that is? There's one parable that God used, Jesus, one he was on this earth, that he used to teach his disciples about the great controversy. It is found in Matthew chapter 13. Why don't we turn there? Matthew chapter 13, Verse 24. Now, I want to tell you, you're at the right place at the right time, because we're about to go through some very exciting things. Matthew 24. Here, there's a parable of the... Okay, the wheat and the tares, the sower... And we will just go over it quickly here. It says, in other parable, he put forth, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. In other parable, he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed bad seeds. Good seeds, all right, you're following. Who sowed good seeds in his field. But while man slept... His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain has sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather them up, your tares also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. All right. 
What do you think scene number one, verse 24, is talking about? And you can talk to me, don't be afraid. We're few, and that's a blessing because you can interact with me. Verse 24, what do you think is that scene? There's a good man, he sows good seed. Who's that man, first off? It's Jesus, right? And what is he doing? Is he sowing bad seeds? Good seeds. And where is he sowing the, the seed? In his field. All right, so that is God creating. But what makes God good? Just as we're reviewing what we covered this, this morning, just to catch you up to speed. What makes God good? What defines his goodness? Love. And what is the best definition of love? His law. Right? Heaven is based upon the law of God, which is a representation of his character of love. But now, this is the good, you know, Jesus is good. But in verse 25, what happens there? There are men who are asleep. And while these men are asleep, an enemy comes, and then he sows what? Tears. Now, who are those men? Hmm? Who are those men? They are angels. Who are the only persons around when God is creating? Men. And the men there is a plural. It's not a singular men, right? It's men with an E. So these are many men. These are the angels. But they are sleeping. Now, how many of you, is it a radical thing to hear that some angels were sleeping? What do you think they mean by they were sleeping? What does the Bible mean by, what is sleep in the Bible? Rest, okay. What else? Death, okay. What is, what, okay, death, rest. In the Bible, rest well, sleep could mean, let's turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and we will see what sleeping means as well. Mark chapter 13, verse 36 to 37. It says, lest coming suddenly he find you, what? Sleeping. And I say to you, I say to you all, what? Watch. So, so catch this. Not being watchful is the same as what? Sleeping. So these angels were not being watchful, but in a perfect world, what do you have to watch out for? What do you have to watch out for in a perfect world? The parable tells us men were sleeping. These angels were sleeping. They were not being watchful. What should they have watched for? Let me help you here. It says that heaven was based on the principality of free will. Nobody there was forced to worship God. They could only be there, well, they were there because they wanted to be there. They wanted to be in the presence of God. But why did these angels have to watch? At this time, I could, I, let us divide in two groups. Uh, Mary and Christian, if you could join. Your name? Joanne, okay. And you guys will discuss very briefly, just in five minutes, why, what does it mean to sleep, just to catch up? What does it mean angels were sleeping? Welcome. All right. What does it mean that men were sleeping, and men, who are they? The angels. Why were angels sleeping? Who represents this group? Hello. 
They were not being watchful, okay? Okay, they weren't watchful because they didn't see the importance of it. We're talking about, for those that just joined us, the parable about the wheat and the tares, starting with verse 24, where it says the man was good, and now scene number two, the men were not watchful. Yes? Oh. Okay. Okay. They were feeling comfortable. Yes. Now, let me tell you, were the angels sinning when they were not being watchful? Were they sinning? No, they were not, right? They were just being comfortable. Now, these were men that were sleeping, which represented the angels. But now, guess what? Just to be brief here, now guess what? There is an enemy, and he is the enemy. Now, whose enemy is he? Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, if you want to turn there. Verse 25, actually. Okay, whose enemy is he? Okay, the sower, Jesus, this is his enemy. It's not their enemy, not the enemy of the men, of the multiple men, but it's their enemy. No, he's his enemy. All right. Now, we talked about how Lucifer was a covering cherub. He was established by God. He had this position. He was elevated to becoming a covering cherub who is someone that sits close to the throne of God because God established him to be there. He did not deserve that place. But then he started to think once he was up there that he deserved more glory. And once he started thinking he deserved more glory, he started to have pride in his heart. Then he started dealing with the heavenly host. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 16, he says, he was trading with them. And in Hebrew, the word that they use is that he was trading words. Profanity. Now, if you are a heavenly angel, you are in a perfect world. Just imagine it with me. You're in a perfect world, and then there's someone that comes to you and says, you know what? Let's imagine Mark Finlay was an angel. And somebody came to you and said, Mark Finlay is not a man of God. As a matter of fact, I don't even think he prayed at GYC last night. And I think he's deceiving us. Would you believe that person? Depends. After you just saw Mark Finley praying for us and the, the person says he's not praying for us. Will you believe that person? Why? You just saw him. Now, tell me, did the angels know that God was love? So what merchandise was he selling to them that they would want to get it? What merchandise it is that he will tell them, heavenly beings, that if you had this, you'd be a much happier person in a perfect world. What was it? Okay. God is holy. What he told them is this. He says, you do not need a law to be holy. All you need to be holy is your knowledge of holiness. After all, you're in a perfect world. You're comfortable. Why do you need a law? Right? Why do you need a law if you're in a perfect world? You're already holy. You do not need a law. Truth is not the most relevant thing in your life. That is what Lucifer told them. 
truth, yes, Jesus says there's a law, but let me tell you what is more relevant. It's what you know. You're already holy. It's fine. If you know holiness, you do not need a law to keep it. Then he started dealing with them. Then they started saying, yes, why do I need to keep a law? I'm already perfect. And as he started dealing with them, war broke out in heaven. In a perfect place that knew no sin, here is Lucifer starting a war. Now, we have been through war. I've been through war about three times in my life. And I want to tell you, when war happens, it is you don't go out there on the streets and you say to the person that's shooting, Oh, I hope you're ha- I, you look like you're having a bad day. Stop taking that AK-47. Just drop it. You know, nobody's out there in la-la land jumping on trees and saying, You just missed me. Oh, you know, it is a time where everyone has to watch. But why are they watching? Because death is nearby. You don't know if you will get shot. You don't know if your family member will get shot. You don't know if you'll even exist in the next two days. All you can do in a situation of war is watch. And sin is like war. Let me tell you why. In Romans chapter 6, verses 23, I'll read the first part to the coma. Romans chapter 6. Verse 23. And from there we will transition into our scene number 3 once we read that. It says what? Somebody read it for us? To the comma? There you go. For the wages of sin is death. And guess what? Once war broke out in heaven, Satan came down with a wrath here on earth. He was so angry because he got kicked out of heaven that he says, you know what? I will hurt my enemy. And there he started playing with the wheat and he sowed tares. And then as he sowed these tares, he started dealing his profanity again. And guess who? There was a field that was so beautiful. What place do you think this is on earth? The Garden of Eden. It was so beautiful. It was so perfect. But how does lawlessness mingle with beauty? What is the thing that he deals with? What did he tell Eve in Genesis chapter 1? What did he tell you? Sorry, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 5, 4 to 8. I'll summarize it. He told her, isn't it relevant for you to be wise? Isn't it relevant for you to know good and evil? Yes, I know God told you this is the truth. But what is more relevant is what you see as important right now. It's relevant for you to be wise. She paused. She tried to put two together. She said, oh, the fruit looks good. The serpent is speaking good words. This must be good for me. Sheer beauty, perfection, is mingling with lawlessness. And she buys his trade. She says, truth is not the most relevant thing. And because of that, now the world is at war between God and Lucifer. But what is even more dangerous, what is even more dangerous is that now sin has found a soil in which it can grow. Sin has found a soil where in which it can grow freely. And we will turn to our main text, which is Matthew chapter 13, and we will go into the third scene. Are you ready to engage into this exciting journey with me now? 
Matthew chapter 13. Verse 26, it says there, But when the grain had sprouted and produced, what? A crop. Then the tares also appeared. Who do you think the wheat are? Who do you think are the wheat? God's people. Who do you think the tares are? Hmm? Sin. But those that practice lawlessness. Here are the children of God and here is lawlessness. And they are growing together. And it's making the angels and the world around us nervous. Because now there is a crop. As I told you, sin is kind of like war. It leads to death. And let us talk a little bit more about sin, what sin has done to our world. Because of sin now, we experience something that Revelation chapter 14, verses 11 calls consuming restlessness. Consuming restlessness. People don't know. People all the time feel like they are empty or they have to move all the time. They don't find peace for their souls. All sorts of things are happening. More than that, once you live this life and you feel restless, then you die. What is there to live for? In the days of Noah, the Bible even tells us that their thoughts, their very thoughts were continually evil. Do you know what that means? They did not need the devil anymore to come and tempt them. It was automatic. The devil didn't have to tempt them anymore. Their hearts were leading them astray. Their thoughts were always continually evil. It was too much. God had to do something about it. And let us go back to our verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We will read the second part now. Scene 3 takes place. Scene 3 takes place on this earth. It is the battleground. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the last part. It says, But the gift of God is eternal life in what? In Christ. You know, when Eve ate that fruit, she knew she was going to die. When Adam ate that fruit, he knew that death was his end. All of them knew since they were born that because they had sinned, they would die unless, unless the Messiah came. Where is the first promise of the Messiah in the Bible? Can someone tell me? I know you're scholars here. The first promise of the Messiah in the Bible. It is found in Genesis 3, verse... Genesis 3, verse... Fifteen. Here it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You know, God is so intensely concerned with our happiness that even when we mess up, He doesn't say, You're so reckless. 
I don't want to deal with you again. What does he do? He gives us a promise. In this great controversy, if it was not for Christ, there would be nothing for us. I hope you get that. Do you get that? If it was not for Christ, if it was not for the gift of Christ, there would be nothing, nothing, nothing for us. Because remember, who was the person that sowed the tares? Not the tares, but the seed. What character did he have? He was a? He was a? He was a good man. He sowed good seeds. And in this great controversy, the battle now is to know, is God really good? And is the law of God necessary to make us holy? How many of you here believe that the law is necessary to keep us holy? The people are shy. Let me tell you what. The devil has done whatever he can to put in our minds a distorted image of God's law. Whenever we think of God's law, we think that it's a death sentence. It's like a checklist. Whenever you look at it, you're like, oh, messed up this one. I have to go and confess. Messed up this other one. Oh, no. But let me tell you what, God summarized his law. He said, if you love God and if you love your neighbor. And if I want, let me remind you that the law of God starts with what? What does it start with? Does it say you shall have no other God before me? What does it start with? I have delivered you out of Egypt. The law of God is spoken to a people that have already been what? Redeemed. Thus, when the angels were in heaven, God was speaking his law because they were already redeemed. He says, I love you so much that I have redeemed you. I love you so much, this is why I give you this law. You shall have no other gods before me. Because if you do so, you will mess yourself up. Because of Adam and Eve, we are here now. How many of you see violence all the time around you? Or somebody lying, or somebody that treated you not properly, or you watch it, you hear in the news. Is that often? It's very often. And why do you think all of those things happen so much? Why is it? Is it that people want to just hurt other people? Why is it? Sometimes. But why is it? Why is it? Talk to me. Because sin is like cancer. Because sin has to deal with the thoughts now. Remember what is his merchandise that he was selling to them? He said, ideas, your knowledge is more important than truth. Your knowledge is more important than truth. What you think you know is more important than what God knows. And down throughout the ages, the only Savior is Jesus Christ. But when we say Jesus Christ, who is he? Where does he come from? And how are we to wait for him? What does Jesus mean to you? Three people. What does Jesus mean to you? Hmm? Everything? Okay. One person. Another person. What does Jesus mean to you? Yes? Perfect example. Hmm? Our only hope. Let me tell you what the Bible sees Jesus as. And those were very excellent answers. Throughout the Bible, the only hope that the Word of God brings to us, which is the only hope we need, is the hope of the Messiah.
In Genesis, he's the one that does what? That crushes the serpent's head. In Exodus, he's this lamb that has come to what? Take away the sins of the world. In Leviticus, he's still that lamb. In Numbers, he's that lamb. In Deuteronomy, he's Issachar. You know what was the stone of Issachar that represented Issachar? What was that stone? It was sapphire which represented the law of God. He is the one that comes to dwell. He is the law of God. In Joshua, he is the law. In Judges, he is represented as someone strong like Samson. In Ruth, he is Boaz. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, he is like David. In 1st Kings and 2nd Kings, he is like David, the one he's like a shepherd. 1st and 2nd Chronicles, he's the only one that knows the history of the nations, the only one that is able to deliver them. In Ezra, he's the scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the one that restores all things. In Esther, he's the one that is willing to go even to death for you. In Job, he's the one willing to endure all things. In Psalms, he's the gentle shepherd. In Proverbs, he's the one that gives you wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the one that brings all meaning to life. In Songs of Solomon, he's that love that can consume your soul. In Isaiah, he is the one that holds the stars in the palms of his hand. And throughout the minor prophets, he is the one to come. The only hope in this great controversy is when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes to this earth and does something very special for us. Let us turn our Bible to Psalms 78. Psalms 78. Psalms 78. And verse 5 and 8. Let us see what Jesus tells us we should do to wait for him. Until he comes back to this earth and Pastor Taurus will talk about that. He says, for he established his testimony in Jacob. Now Jacob is another name for what nation or what people? Israel. And appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. What is going on here? What is he telling them to do? What is he telling them to do? Yes, to teach these things, that they may set their hope in, in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set his heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. What were the children of Israel supposed to do while they were waiting for the Messiah? What were they supposed to do in this great controversy? What were they supposed to do? Teach others about him? They were supposed to keep what? His commandments. The one thing that God wanted them to teach to the other generation was very simple, His commandments. 
This is where the warfare took place. Is God's law really what we need? What they needed to survive spiritually. Now all of you here look a little bit sleepy. I hope I'm not making you fall asleep. So stand up for a little bit and stretch as high as you can. Because I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Stretch nice and as high as you can. And okay. All right. Now that you feel relaxed, you can take a seat now. And you all look more awake. Because I was seeing, I was telling you things and it was just... Pastor Atsara was just talking over your heads. Let me tell you this again. The only thing that God told his people to do, the only most important thing that they were supposed to do was to transmit his commandments, their commandments to their children. Now, if I tell you if I tell you that you shall not steal, but I go and I rob a bank, and you see my picture on the newspaper. You see my picture on the newspaper. I just robbed the bank and I'm being chased. I have a warrant after me. And I come to you and I said, hey, you know what? What's your name? Abraham. Very good name. Abraham, you know what? Do not steal. And then you start questioning me, and I'm like, hey, don't question me. Do not steal. And then the next thing you see is my face again in the newspaper that I stole another bank. Now, will you listen to me? Why? Okay, the example wasn't there. You see, in order for the children of Israel to wait for the coming of the Messiah and transfer his commandments, they had to be a good example. It was not just enough for them to say, hey, you know what? Listen to what I have to say. They had to live it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is what I was coming to right now. We have about five minutes, and Taurus will talk more about the scenes following. But in order for me to proclaim the commandments of God, I had to have that experience first, right? In order, for example, the rich young ruler to say, God, I've kept all the commandments, he had to have the life that showed he had kept the commandments. In his mind, he thought he kept it, but God told him, go sell all of your riches. And then he said, this is too heavy for me. You see, in order for the children of Israel to teach this thing, they had to live it out in their lives. And God summarized his commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Does it just mean... You're a good person, I am here for you. What does it mean to love someone? Talk to you. Mm -hmm. Love gives it. Obedient, yes. Compassion. 
Okay, okay, good. Now let me turn it this way. If I told you, help me be in love. And you started talking to me. There's a, there's a couple right there. And I see that the young man is really in love with his wife. And I say, you know, I want that love. Can you give it to me? And then he starts talking to me. Love is like this. I do this for my wife. I, I, uh, I go and get her food. I pray for her. I do all of these things. Do you think I'll fall in love after that? Do you think I'll have that same love for, my, for his wife that he was? I wouldn't, right? And it's the same way with the commandments. I can say, do this, do that, but no. Love is an experience with someone. The only way that the children of Israel in this great controversy could teach the law of God and make sure that Jesus has the right image is for them to experience him personally. From Abraham, from, no, from Noah, Adam, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, all the way to when the Messiah would come. The only people that were able to fully teach the law were those that decided to follow Jesus Christ. And this is a warning to all of us, but a warning of love. Because as we will see this great controversy coming out, as there's a crop of sin that is springing out, only those that are called wheat are the ones that know that the sower is good. Only those that are the wheat are those that know that the sower is a good sower. The tares are the one that said, you know what? I like the knowledge stuff, but I don't want the experience. I want to... I want to learn about God, but I don't want to experience Him. I want to learn about the law, but I don't want to have the experience of the law. It is just like that example that I gave you. I want to fall in love. Tell me about love so I will fall in love. It won't happen. I might have an idea of it, but I won't be in that state. And this is what Lucifer, the devil, was lacking. You see, for him, he could accuse God as much as he wanted to. But unless he voluntarily accepted God as his ruler, he was never going to be in line. And today, that's the danger that we face as well. Unless we say... I am a Christian and I want to have this experience with Jesus Christ. Not just the knowledge, but I want to put truth above what I think is right. Then we'll miss the boat unless we do that. And this great controversy is still playing out. And we will go down through the parables. Pastor Taurus will lead us into the other parts of the parable. But remember what the first scene is? It is what? It is heaven. The second scene, what happens? There is an enemy that came and he sowed tares. Third scene, what is it? What is the third scene? There's a crop. People are starting to see that sin is starting to grow. And what does the sower do? What does he say? What does Jesus Christ, what did he tell his people that they should do while they wait, while the crop is growing? To, to be, be watchful. Watch. But how were they to be the best watchful? How were they to watch? What did they need to do? I'm just summarizing here. 
They had to be prepared. They had to experience his love. Religion is not something of the mind, but it's something of the heart. When you judge someone, you don't judge someone with your mind, but you judge them with your heart. Don't have much time here, but I'll just give you a quick glimpse. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 6, he said these words, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out, out of the mouth of who? God. What words was he referring to? What words were Jesus referring to? Okay. Where is he quoting from? Here, GYC scholars, tell me, where was he quoting from? He was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let us turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. I'll read verse 1 to 3. Actually, why don't someone read, uh, someone read a verse and another person the second verse and then the third verse? Who would like to start reading for us? Okay. Okay, verse 2. Verse 2 of chapter 8. Someone read it for us, please. Okay, and verse 3. Okay. Go on. Well, that's great. We have a great problem here. Everybody wants to read from the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Yeah, go on, somebody. Okay. Why did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years? It was just, why did they wander for 40 years? To humble them, but to see what? Okay, to see what? What was in the hearts and what was supposed to be in their hearts? The commandments. Are you starting to see with me, friends? Jesus, whenever the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, they were wandering for 40 years. Why that long? Because God was testing them to see what was in their hearts. If every commandment was in their hearts. So now picture this. Jesus has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 days. And when the devil tempts him, he says... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out, out of the mouth of God. The reason why he prevailed over the devil was not because he was God. It was not because he was God but because the law, catch this now, because the law of God was written in his heart. The only reason why Jesus prevailed over the evil one because the heart 
of God, which is the law of God, was written in his heart. Thus when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What is he referring to again? The law of God. Friends, I hope you capture that as we go through this great controversy. The only reason why Jesus prevailed while he was on this earth, the Messiah, is because the law of God was written in his heart. Nothing else, nothing more. It was a sustenance of his entire being. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out, out of the mouth of God. We will have our second session soon, but I will, we'll be done for now. But why don't we conclude it with prayer? And we will see what that means with when Pastor Taurus will talk to us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as there's a crop, a crop that is springing forth, and we realize that there are wheat and tares. Father, help us to be the wheat. Help us to realize the holiness of your law. That the only reason why Jesus overcame the evil one is that he kept it in his heart, your law. Father, as we go on with this seminar, may we realize the beauty of it. May we realize, Father, the importance of it. And may we experience it for ourselves. Father, we just don't want head knowledge, but we want heart conviction. And that is something that your Holy Spirit can only do. So, Father, fill us with that spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.